goal chance for Conor McGrath here and he'll surely give it in Conor. What a goal! Mackey heading it towards the 21 meter line. Keep Mackey chance. still going. Go on, your boy. Goal is on for Cats. Oh, what a goal! I can't think of a better position or a better place to be in right now, anywhere in the world. It's time to take Sam to throne. If you look back in sporting history, you'll see that the whingers and the whiners are forgotten. The characters remembered briefly, but will stick in your mind that the champions who showed class. I want nothing to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, I think it's a disgrace. Did a small change before the game worked the street. I've been a look, Sandra. Donovan Connor. Wild effort on goal. It's on the goal! It's on the goal! Equalizer! All right, how's it going? It's the Friday GEA podcast. Nathan Murphy with you as always. And wow, what a special occasion. Jer Gilroy has decided to grace us with his presence. Jer, what have you made of it so far? The championship? You've been biding your time to. Slot into the Friday GEA podcast. I was just being silent there to, uh, <laughs> to dramatic effect. Well, to, so that, yeah, people got a figment of your imagination. Uh, apologies for my absence in recent weeks. You know, busy man. We understand. I had to be about my father's business. Uh, He's been pulled from pillar to post. I mean, this is a privilege. So the championship so far. Ah, look it. Sure, look it. We're only warming up. I thought you were kind of like the podcast. What, what do you thought about the podcast so far? That, that's really what I'm interested in. <laughs> well, I mean, you broke you broke a news story. It's yeah, a, we have. You know, it's actual journalism. Well, no, sorry, some other journalist told you his story. <laughs> and we claim that's that still journalism, own. right? That's, <laughs> and you, that's modern, modern. That's modern journalism. It really is. If yeah. we give a journal, journalist who has a clue what he's doing a platform to deliver his journalism, yeah, yeah, that makes us journalists. Yeah, pretty much. I think it's actually an editing role that you're describing. Well, the bar is set pretty high, Jer, uh, for the past, first couple of weeks, so we need you to meet the level that we're now working at. <laughs> to bring you back to the level to which we are all becoming very quickly accustomed. Most of my preparation this week involved spending time with that balls.ie quiz trying to identify GEA grounds. Great quiz. I'm Super. obviously bringing this up because I got 11 out of 12. No way. I That's got a good four. feat. Yeah, I got 10 out of 12. But I mean, so a lot right. of them were based around de- uh, deduction. So that can't be, that must be Ockram and not Derry because there are four vacant green fields around it, for example. Yeah, but a lot of the photos were 25 years old. That was part of the problem. Port, <laughs> Leash, so you Port Leash, there's a, there's about 400 apartments exactly. around the and stadium in Port Leash that aren't in this picture. Yeah. The so graveyard end, the David Brady talking about the graveyard end the other day was the giveaway for... In Hyde Park, uh, Hyde yeah, Park, that was yeah. the giveaway there. Yeah. yeah, but green fields for a lot of the stadiums didn't necessarily mean that you could use the process of elimination. I had the... Uh, actually, didn't do that, Chris, sorry. The one that I did was the so one busy. of the former... Oh no, I had enough time to do the 32 <coughs> counties sponsors... Of ah. which I got about 15, right. Current sponsors? No, current and historical. So, current ones are really Send easy. Send that on to me. I'll be interested to waste some time doing that. <laughs> it got me thinking, though, about my favourite GEA ground. Dave presumed I was going to go for Ockram. Obviously well, thinking it's the only GEA ground I've ever been to. <laughs> well, having been to the Etihad the week before and then having to go to Ockram, it was a slight difference in quality of press box. But a little, a little different. Food. Food, no mm. food in Ockram <laughs> whatsoever, unfortunately. Not get like a cup of hot soup or something in a polystyrene cup? Not no. even that no. at halftime because you're away from everybody else where we are. Dave, you've been to plenty of GEA grounds over the past couple of years. The only one I think in the country I haven't been to in terms of county grounds was Markovic Park. That was one of the two I didn't get in the quiz. But uh, I don't know, my favourite one perhaps might be, um, I do enjoy Breffney Park. I think it's a cracking stadium. And Clonus. King's I mean, Park. Sorry, mm. King's Park. Yes. Before we all get sacked. Thank you for that correction. And I do love Clonus, I must say. On Ulster final day. Absolutely. There's no better place to be. Pierce Park, Adrian, yeah? 
Uh, Wait, there's a sponsor there as well now, isn't there? Why would I be going for Pierce Park? Oh no, that's Longford. Yeah. <laughs> Cusick I mean, Park. I, Lennon I, Brothers. I randomly get, get accused around the office of being from various different counties. That's Longford is the first. Well, you're from the Midlands. It's all, um, all the same, really. No, I, I wouldn't be a huge Mullingar. fan of um, Cusick Park in Mullingar, mainly because I'm from Atlone and people from Atlone don't particularly like people from Mullingar, or so we're told. That's that's the way things are supposed Bitter to be. Rivalry. Um, I'm gonna can I break the rules slightly on this and go for the old Crow Park. As being interesting, my favorite GA stadium of all time. The getting thrown over the turnstiles, um, before the match, invariably, yeah, and afterwards, invariably, I wasn't going to see Westmeath, needless to say. But uh, having parents from the west, there was various points of interest over the years. Which counties? Galway and Mayo. All right, um, a lot of disappointment. <laughs> lot of, yeah, yeah, a bit of a mixture with the Galway hurlers at times, obviously, but. Uh, and being the face of the Sunday game as a result of that for a little while as well. The what? little Weird. ginger kid at the, at really? the front <laughs> screaming his face off. Sadly got a season, season or two Whoa. out of it. You know the little montage that we got to go for a little YouTube uh, when we finish this podcast. You know the little uh, montage that That's a good, good idea. To do a little uh, montage beforehand. <laughs> that was of, the immediate thing that everybody <laughs> thought know, of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not me, obviously. Um, the little montage of, you know, little scenes to, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to get wet the excited appetite. before. And I was... I was wetting the appetite before. Look uh, at this most Irish of children. That was pretty much it. Scrawny, and at that point in my life, very, very <laughs> not so scrawny or malnourished, but definitely ginger. That's quite an impressive. Uh, yeah. was, were you loved in school for that? <laughs> for being ginger. <laughs> not so much for the fame. For the fame you brought to the. I don't really. Mead. It wasn't really a point of discussion in school. It wasn't. What? Yeah, I was never like. You're on TV you know, every week and it's not a point of discussion. Not, what not the hell? Not particularly. I was obviously so uh, adept. My prowess at actually playing football was obviously so good at that point. No, it wasn't. Like it was the 1980s, kid. there's literally nothing else in Ireland. <laughs> and you were the only Westmead person to set foot in Croke Park in the entire decade. Add me to Foster and Allen and all those other <laughs> gags that are out there. Were you, uh, did you have some um, hat, headbands? No, it was no, just crappy, my recollection of it is just a lot of red hair. And as I said, at that point, my, my hair is Do probably you dye less your hair red now. now. Yeah, no. Um, but at that point, certainly it was a more of a fiery He's counting head. the days until he goes grey. <laughs> and meeting Michal O'Hare at one point um, before one of these games where my old man was one of these people who used to take me to the ground four hours before a throw-in because it was important to get up and beat the traffic. Yeah. Ah, know, well, if you're trying to you get see, over the You see dump you in one part of the, part of the ground and yeah, then no, he'd go no, to another part no, like no, my father sit, used to. Really? <laughs> At Lansdowne Road, he would have his seat at Lansdowne Road, but he would bring me in over the turnstile (laughs) and he'd drop me with somebody he'd meet (laughs) who he'd kind of barely know. Somebody from the town leave me with them for the match he'd go off to a seat and then pick me up by the dart station on the way home for soccer or for for rugby? soccer right innocent times I'm not sure that modern day parents would get away with that I'm not I'm, you know <laughs> would you leave your kids <laughs> well, <laughs> I, might, I might like to but whether I get away with it or not Newbridge is ah, quite a good ground times. actually as well I, uh, I enjoyed uh, Kildare Tyrone last year and the referee having to run the gauntlet at full time where you have to go right through the crowd to get to their changing room yeah yeah, well, I, I wouldn't be a fan of Newbridge now. But you can get into, you can get in quite quickly. Newbridge, uh, I don't know. There was a great picture of me, Hall, Omar Hartig, and for whatever reason, all of the Athai people right in front of him in the Croke Park Museum for years when they were in their broadcasting section. It was a picture of uh, Newbridge, and you could pick out various members from our hurling team on it. But um, yeah, I'm not mad. The well, one we always got beaten whenever. <laughs> Athai would have played there and I've, I've seen Kildare lose many fine games there as well over the years so Thurless for me has just oh, it's special Monster final day well uh, All-Ireland Hurling final 1984 was the first All-Ireland Hurling final that I went to and it was in Thurless because it was a centenary final and also I'm pretty sure that there was a match in Thurless for uh, Matt Connor where the All-Stars played an Ireland team 
and in hurling and football so it was like all the best footballers and all the best hurlers literally the very best hurlers and everybody came out for it and it was huge crowds and we all got on the field afterwards to get Jack O'Shea's autograph and he stood there for hours signing and signing and signing Amazing. and signing and signing Jack, Jack O'Shea <laughs> he came to uh, my club at one point to present the medals as invariably these things happen uh, again in the 1980s and I remember just being in awe of this guy he was you know this shock of curly hair mm. it was this amazing thing and I remember speaking to a friend of mine about it recently and this was one of my like major recollections as a kid mm. and he was all, all the only point he had to make about it was how pissed off Jack O'Shea looked on the day oh uh, here I am at another club like for my money Jack O'Shea was completely engaged here I am inspiring like 30 young Athlone men boys to become proper well, GA men he didn't really inspire you too well. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. I, we also, I, what, why when you're getting medals as an under fourteen year old, do you need some iconic outsider? It, you're getting medals. Yeah. Oh, the medals are the brilliant. Experience. Well, why don't you just get your medal at the end of the match? In that case, there always has to be three months down the yeah. line. Everyone gets back together for that's more the they, don't have, they don't have to have a fundraiser to get the medals together. I do remember Paul Beale and Mick Deegan. Uh, Giving yeah, me a couple point. of medals there many no years medals. ago before Dublin had won the All-Ireland in 95 so they were members of a pretty unsuccessful Dublin team at the time but thought it was the best thing Well, that's and, and you remember it I oh, would yeah, never have remembered that that's the key yeah. medal you, presentation you remember Willie Joe Padden was the highlight of my life until I was about 15 I'd say until you were about 32 <laughs> <laughs> not like I got to work with Lee McHale a couple of weeks ago that yes. just about topped us <laughs> uh, anyways our live game this weekend is in the Leinster Hurling Championship quarter final Galway against Leash four o'clock throw in on Sunday Dave you'll be down there on commentary with James O'Connor and Dahi Regan we're going to have reporters at all the other games as well two or three years ago Galway we would have expected to win this game by 15 points 20 points but Cheddar Plunkett Cheddar Plunkett even the job he's come in and done is there a possibility of an upset? No I don't think so maybe two weeks ago there might have been a distinct possibility you could have at least have had the debate but by all, I didn't see the Antrim game last weekend but Leash looked tired very tired uh, over a third of their team have since played another really intense game against Dublin on Wednesday night in the Under 21 Championship and for about six of their starting 15 it's going to be their sixth game in 29 days I just think that's a little too it's like their seventh game in 29 days for the 21s it's just too it's too much to be honest and I think Galway missing a couple of players despite that fact they'll they will look to lay down a marker because they didn't start against Leash well last season Leash were actually leading after 56 minutes yeah. and I don't think that's going to happen again Is it fair that the Leash hurlers are expected to play five weeks in, weekends in a row it's, and it, also well, Clearly it's not like but Look it's, it's the first year this has happened next year presumably they'll learn from the mistake and it won't happen and it's a far better situation and system they have in place where they're getting games in good weather and relatively good weather and they're getting championship intensity and well, 70 minutes against other sides so I think it's a progression but it's not fixed and, and the way that the story has been sold this week is that this is a disaster but actually this is far better than what we used to have it's just not perfect I'd completely agree with that I have to say the like you know we're told that GA players are you know they're elite athletes and they're training as hard as anybody else I think you do need to get to a point where like, five games is probably too much and you, you throw the under 21s in on top of that as well obviously they all haven't been positive outcomes I think if there were if there were more positive outcomes in there, it might be a different conversation because people would be saying, "Well, this is maybe this is kind of the future of the way this thing needs to go." But I, you know, if you get to a point where teams are playing more games consistently, I think that has to be an advantage for them. Are we expecting then that Leash will just be fatigued rather than being at championship pace? I don't. I don't. They'll certainly be at. Well, they'll be at championship pace, obviously, because they're battle hardened. You could take that positive from it, but it'll be a similar situation whereby Leash, in my book, will give 
a very good account of themselves for the first half anyway and then Galway will just pull away I don't think it's going to be a hiding definitely not no it'll be a close game you should definitely stay tuned until the last couple absolutely. of minutes the there are a couple of very young guys points, right? so they were beaten by Clare by four points to beat awfully in their first game which is a huge win for them but it's just that they have played so much hurling There's and they're a very young team as well between the 21s of 2012 and the minors last year both of which reached Leinster finals they're eight of the starting 15 really young team yeah I saw them uh, a couple of times in the league, in particular the game against Cork, where they gave Cork all sorts of trouble. They had a brilliant setup. Their stick work was excellent. They had a couple of really good chances in the first half. They missed a penalty and didn't end up winning that game. Ultimately, Cork ended up getting promotion out of the division because uh, it was in Limerick's hand until they screwed up against Offaly. But I think they have every chance of doing something and... They're going to set up in a very intelligent way. Cheddar Plunkett tactically got everything right against Cork. Last year got everything right against Galway. And Galway are going to be coming in going, oh, do we have to do this again? Like, we haven't even got to the point of Galway yet. Which mm. Galway is going to arrive this year? The Galway that hammered Kilkenny in the All-Ireland final? Or sorry, the uh, Leinster final or the Galway that got hammered by Kilkenny in the replay? Yeah, well, let's talk about Galway. And in particular, let's talk about Joe. If Joe doesn't do it, like there's huge pressure on, on Joe Canning to perform. The pressure of the entire county Galway on his shoulders. He's got it right. He's put it over the bar. A goal of nine for Joe Canning. Joe Canning had a hugely uh, significant off day and everything went wrong. And stopping Galway begins and ends with stopping Canning. The way Joe Canning is shooting, there's no guarantee he'll stick this. The talisman missed a heap of freeze uh, and he eventually took him off him. You're always judged on your, on your last performance and... That's the big thing that I have to improve on anyway and hopefully try and improve this year compared to last year anyway. I suspect if we just played Jimi Hendrix for the rest of the podcast, we'd probably have a few more listeners. <laughs> uh, to give us some further insight into Galway and into Joe Canning's current form, we're joined on the line by Galway Bay FM's Sean Walsh. And Sean, let's start on Joe Canning. 25 now, six years. I was just looking back during the week on that incredible individual performance against Cork. He's been made captain of Galway for this season, but are we any closer, or perhaps more importantly, is Anthony Cunningham any closer to knowing what his best position is? Good question. <laughs> I suppose it's it's um, it's something that's been discussed at length and ad nauseum down here, uh, particularly in Galway. And I suppose <clears throat> you know it's it's really comes down to do you play him at the edge of the square or do you play him further out the field, all the way to midfield, which both Galway and Portumna have done. Interestingly, Nathan, that in the All Ireland Club uh, series, Portumna this year. Uh, in most of the games in Galway and in the two games in the All-Ireland series played him at midfield and left him there and even coming into that All-Ireland final uh, against Mount Leinster Rangers on St. Patrick's Day there was even a school of thought at that stage that would he go into full forward for a period of time but he didn't he stayed at midfield has remained so in the club championship here that's currently up going in, in Galway now Probably this year, um, Anthony Cunningham hasn't had the services of Joe or the Portumna crew for a long stage, really, because it was uh, the league quarter-final stage by the time the Portumna contingent came back uh, to the Galway Senior Camp this year after their All-Ireland Club Series. And Canning came on as a sub that uh, did start the uh, league semi-final against Kilkenny and played a lot of that game, ironically, in the full forward line and at corner forward. So there's, it's a non-going debate. I mean... 
Certainly. It's probably a, de- a, a decade-long debate at this stage. Yeah, and, and it's even interesting to listen to his brother, um, who was the manager, Francis, of uh, Portumna. And, you know, in one or two interviews that I did with him, I asked him the question, and he felt that um, Joe's uh, value is greater out the field in the sense that he can be more influential in terms of, you know, setting up patterns of play and being involved in the game and that he is more easy to mark in the full forward line. Now, I would give you... 25 other experts that would give you the opposite opinion that, you know, that he's a hit forward, he's a top quality forward and you need to play him as, as close to goal as you can. It'll be interesting to see how goal will use him this year because there is, you know, that league semi-final certainly pointed, uh, Nathan, uh, towards the use of Canning closer to goal. Uh, by Galway uh, whether that remains for this season or not it's hard to know How difficult is it for Anthony Cunningham to change the game plan considering Joe Canning missed the vast majority of the league campaign because he was involved with Portumna in the club championship Canning is such a crucial figure that you can't really plan for championship without him yet that's exactly what Anthony Cunningham's had to do yeah, and it is a factor because, I mean, <clears throat> the one thing as well, Nathan, we've seen with the, the current structure of the National League, I mean, that National League is hugely competitive now. You have five first-round games, and I think what it's actually doing to managers is it's not giving them the opportunity to to test, you know, game plans, as you say, number one, or number two, to test newer players that often because if you lose a game, as Galway did say, they lost their second game, straight away you're under pressure and you're almost tempted to go back to your stride and trust it to get the results to keep you out of the... Uh, Division 2 pot in in the National League. But going back to the game plan, I I think that it's a factor, but it's not a huge factor. I mean, Canning has been back since that league uh, quarterfinal. You know, they've been training away since. It's been about about six or eight weeks since that league semi-final. So they'll be putting their plans together. Canning is an experienced player at this stage. Most of the players around him are fairly experienced as well, so I can imagine there'll be a fluidity uh, with the use of him. But again, it's, it's not so much, you know, this issue wouldn't be as big as Galway were winning, Nathan. Mm. And I think that's what the other issue around that is, that when, when a team isn't winning, you tend to look at an awful lot of things, whereas if they, if they are winning, uh, it's almost the result that matters. It's not kind of how you get there. So I think from that viewpoint, I think the, the game plan issue shouldn't be a major one. I think they're experienced enough players. And, you know, even at club level here in Galway, there's, there's fiercely competitive games. And I think that, you know, the players know each other inside out anyway. And they're able to switch between game plans pretty easily. But... Um, I think the bottom line for Galway this year is that starting with next Sunday against Leash, they need to lay, lay down a marker. I think a performance is very important. Obviously, look at a championship is all about the results, but I think there needs to be a kind of a certain level of performance for Galway to give a bit of confidence for the year ahead. Yeah, what, um, what, what do you expect Anthony Cunningham will do? Do you think he will stick with a plan over the course of the summer? Obviously, last summer it was a very short summer in the end for Galway, but mm-hmm. do you think where Canning starts against Leash on Sunday, that's where he'll play for the entire summer? I wouldn't say so, no. And I, and I am not being smart in that because I think that the game of hurling now has evolved so much in the last few years in particular that it's, it's become very tactical, Nathan, and I think that it'll nearly be horses for courses. And I think even within periods of games, you will see different players you know, going to different positions. I think Clare proved that last year, you know, with various players taking up different positions depending on who they were playing, etc. So I, think, I don't think what you will see on Sunday won't necessarily be followed for the remainder of the season, but probably you will see him closer to goal uh, as the season goes on. Uh, but the other alternative, of course, is that, I mean, if you have a guy, you know, he is extremely good hurler, both out the field and inside. I think there would be a school of thought as well in Galway that maybe if you could afford him, his best position probably is full forward, his most 
uh, advantageous position is there. But then go back to the All Ireland quarter final last year in Thurles, Nathan, and uh, Davy Fitz employed Pat Donnan as a sweeper in front of him at full forward, and he effectively had two markers for most of the game. So. You're coming down to the tactical battles. You're coming down to the individual games. But um, you're coming down to until somebody actually figures it out once and for all. Galway yeah. aren't going to win in All Ireland. Yeah, and well, you, you know, you you need to be realistic on that as well. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of kind of I won't call it well, I will call it lazy uh, punditry in most seasons that kind of includes Galway as um, potential All Ireland winners. But I mean, you know, what what. Well, it, it's it's only two years since they were yeah. within a puck of the ball of winning an All-Ireland title. Yeah, but, you know, the other flip side of it, it's been a long time since they were involved at that level. And, you know, coming out of 2012, the disappointment was last year, and it's been it's something that we've seen in 01, 05, and 2012, that the year after an All-Ireland final appearance, Galway seems to have gone backwards. And I think the most most hurling aficionados in Galway right now, what they're looking for is a performance from this Galway team for this summer, Nathan, in the sense of, getting back to those heights and you know they, they start with a very tricky game on Sunday against Leash who seriously uh, unhinged Galway for large stages of last year's clash in the Leinster semi and you know if they get over Leash then in three weeks time you're looking at Kilkenny so I mean it's, it's certainly a case of one game at a time certainly there is potential in, in the team uh, but already from 2012, we've seen a lot of changes and nothing you guys coming in. So it's an evolving process. Um, Is it a case of Anthony Cunningham at the start of this season just completely ripping it up and starting all over again? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think the, the, a lot of the same guys are there, but I think it's certainly a case of freshening it up. Um, you know, there's been one or two injuries. Even who, who are the guys that have come in that we should be keeping an eye out well, for? Well, we'd say defensively during the league, uh, the two brothers, the two Burke brothers from the Sherlock Moore Club have been centrally involved in the league. Uh, Ronan Burke in at full back and his brother Dahi, uh, both at wing back and centre back. Uh, I think you're likely to see them involved in, in championship action. Probably in the middle of the field, you're going to see Farik Brehan as well, a guy that two years ago made a, a fleeting appearance against Wilson Smith in the opening round of the championship and didn't appear in the championship since then. And up front, you're likely to see guys like, say, Cahill Mannion, uh, who's been doing decently in the league, uh, will be another debutant coming on last year's under-21 team. You may see guys like Jason Flynn as well involved. Uh, young John Hansbury from the Rahong Newcastle Club is making strides in the last three or four months. He's earned his place on the squad. So they're the type of lads you're going to be seeing with the mix of the experience, you know, the Fergal Moores, the David Collins, the Johnny Cones, Colin Cannon now seems to have cemented down the goalkeeping position. Uh, while up front, you know, you're going to look at David Burke, another guy who, you know, in the mould of the Joe Canning uh, theory uh, of where do you play him, David Burke has been playing, you know, midfield, wing forward, corner forward at stages in a kind of a roving role. He's another guy that a lot will be expected of this summer. And, you know, Jonathan Glynn now settling into that forward line as well. So there's a kind of a mix of the core of experience that's there. You know, going back to the injuries, I mean, Andy Smith won't be available on Sunday. Yeah, Niall yeah. Healy as well. We're hearing out yeah. for the season with a cruciate <clears throat> injury. Does yeah. that change change the game plan at all? Well, it certainly changes it from Niall's viewpoint because he had made um, the last uh, year or so he had made huge efforts to get himself back onto this team. And you know, Nathan, in the last three years alone, he's been plagued by injuries, and you know, came down on the knee in a club game uh, last weekend. And uh, the latest reports is that the cruciate is gone, and he really, really has had such terrible look in the last two or three years and had been an integral part of the league team uh, in the full forward line so you know he's not going to be involved Joseph Cooney as well who 
played quite well at number seven against Kilkenny in that league semi-final. He chipped a bone in his ankle um, in a club game here as well in the last week, so he'll be out for a period of time. So, you know, look at injuries are, we know, part and parcel of sport, but your heart will go out to a guy like Healy, who has really kind of made a renaissance in his career in the last two or three years, getting him forcing his way back onto that county mm-hmm. panel, and now, you know, the whole thing is taken away from him. I get the sense from you that maybe you're a little bit fed up with Galway hurling. Is, is this is this Galway supporters in general? Is it just so much frustration that having come so close in 2012 that now we're going into a game against Leash on Sunday and you wouldn't be overly confident of Galway progressing? Well, I think I think you have to pay respect, first of all. I think that Seamus Plunkett has done fantastic work with Leash. I mean, maybe... If we go back five or six years ago, this would probably be a gimme game, but that's certainly gone. I mean, they're hugely competitive. They are set up defensively uh, from people I know in Leash. I, I'm not quite sure how they approached that game against Antrim last Sunday. It seemed as if they weren't particularly bothered about whether they bet Antrim or not. They seemed to be all eyes and all focus on this Galway game because, as I said last year, they certainly put it up to Galway for large stages and Galway struggled to, to, to deal with the defensive setup that they had. Um, <clears throat> frustration is probably would be something that would go hand in hand with Galway supporters down through the years I mean you know to go back to my point Galway are always touted uh, early on in the year as being one of the big teams but just haven't done it I mean you know for all Ireland titles speaks for itself um, and you know there is this issue in relation to the ability to produce underage teams and seemingly not being able to bring those guys through to the top level and that's where I think a lot of the frustration is. And like the last two years have summed up Galway perfectly. 2012 was, you know, a great run. Uh, some fantastic games. That Leinster final uh, performance against Kilkenny. The two All-Ireland finals did fade in the second half of the second, uh, the replay of the All-Ireland final. But then last year, you know, struggled against Leash in the championship. Um, were very, very poor in the Leinster final against Dublin. And just couldn't uh, get to the level against Clare in that All-Ireland quarter-final. So in the last two years, we've seen the perfect um, dichotomy, I suppose, of Galway hurling in many ways, in the sense that, you know, one decent performance or one year of decent performance, then followed by a poor performance. And I think I think there is a degree of pressure on the management, there's a degree of pressure on the players this year to at least get the performance level right. Um, they have tried to freshen it up with the newer lads, as I've said, but certainly... Um, it's going to be a campaign that will be looked at very closely from a goal viewpoint. OK, thanks very much, Sean. Dave, Joe Canning, has he become the player we thought he would be at 25? I don't think so. I haven't seen him... He has to, He's yet to develop a level of consistency. But when he's at his best, and when I've seen him at his best, it's just like watching one of the great marquee players of our time. How we are in a position where he's in his mid-twenties and we still don't know where he should be played. I mean, it was a very good question to start with, Sean, because Thanks. It's, um, it's, it really is an enigma because you need two Joe Cannings, really. It's like the Colin Cooper situation when he was taken out to centre-half forward. I mean, you're taking away arguably the best finisher in the game from the edge of the square inside along Kieran Donaghy and Darren O'Sullivan but you're getting this great playmaker who can stitch the whole game together. And who can arrive late. Like, it's possible that, it is possible that Joe Canning can have as much influence of a game in a various, in loads of different positions over the course of 70 minutes. If, for example, you look at the way that Kilkenny revolutionised the sport by saying, you guys go out in your, in your six positions and at some point during the game there's going to be a switch and you're going to have to do exactly the same job as whoever was there before or whatever. Like, Shefflin has a load of best positions and it was at his most influential when the opposition didn't precisely know where he is. The difficulty with Galway is that they stick him in two 
you're here or you're here and that's it and it's quite easy to read and quite easy to defend against but Shefflin was surrounded by some of the greatest forwards of the last 10 years and the great defenders yeah which makes well, obviously it's to a big difference. Got a better, so, but that's not, and that's not a knock on Joe Canning. Like no, I, it's a knock on Galway. Exactly. So mm. the problem isn't the problem isn't has Joe Canning evolved into the hurler that we know he could be. He is still a genius. It's that they haven't learned how to get the best out of him, and that is the fault of all of the Galway hurling establishment, as opposed to just Joe Canning. I so think. what do you do? Because you guys yourself and Sean talked about midfield and the full four position yeah. and it was mentioned in the piece that he's far easier to mark when he's on the edge of the square and as we talked there was you put a sweeper in front of him as Claire did it just makes it virtually impossible for the supply ball to actually find it its way as far as Joe. So then you give him the opportunity to just put a stamp of the game as often as he can get on the ball as often as he can from midfield. Is he one of the best midfielders slash centre half forwards in the country? Well if he's one of the best players in the country presumably he could play in midfield. Is he at his best there, though? Well, you see, I, I think that, again, this is a... So, if if you stick him in midfield and Joe's in midfield, the opposition goes, plan B, Joe's in midfield, do what we've pre, pre, pre-planned for. But if, if he pops up at left half forward for an eight-minute period at some random stage during the game and at right corner forward at a different period of the game and the Galway team is designed to either use one of those as a decoy or horse everything through him, then you're talking about a situation where they fully maximise what's happening and I'm sure they've thought is he, about this is they he, have to have is he fit it. enough for, to play that you sort of game kind of wonder, I think he is a big old arsenal yeah. that takes a long time to get around the field there's times no where offense, I've thought Joe. Joe isn't as lean as he should be and then when I'm to- and when I see him on the pitch that is when I'm actually interviewing him he, there's not a pick on him Like yeah. he's, a, he's got a jawline chiselled out of rock yeah. so I think I would I would I'd look upon him when I'm actually standing out across from him more so than I think what I see were, on the pitch. I definitely think there were injury problems a couple of years ago that prevented the conditioning from being at the level that it was for the last couple of seasons. I, I don't think that's an issue as much as it would have been. Remember, the was it the year after he came back from the year not being involved when Lachnan was uh, in charge um, and there was a, ser- a sequence of injuries I, that I think over the winter prevented him from getting to the, the level and then also with the club always being so amazing Well that is a problem that we touched on with Sean there mm. that Anthony Cunningham if he's going to come up with a new game plan Joe Canning's so key to that and he just doesn't have Joe Canning for the entire winter or yeah. for spring Yeah, I haven't got a sense with Joe Canning that one of the big things around him is how interested he is in any given year that seems to be the underlying thing here. Like when you talk I just about think the, hurling is his life His physique as well but the, the point about that is that he's been made captain for 2014 yeah, it's quite a clever move, obviously, in terms of trying to get the guy dialed into mm, agree, you know, yeah. being <coughs> singing from the the same the same uh, hymn sheet as everyone else. I think it's a pretty clever move. We pretty much know what we're going to get from Leash. They're going to go into this hell for leather. If there's any side in the country I want to be facing, it's Galway because, as you say, you just could be do flaky. not know. Yeah, they could be flaky. They could also come out and score six goals in the first eight minutes, and everybody's like, "Whoa." How do we fill the rest of this 62 minutes? <laughs> and they had a decent league. Um, they undercovered a couple of really good players. Um, Di Brown, he's going to be in there. And Cahill Mannion, I only saw him once in the league against Dublin. And they destroyed Dublin that day. And he looked really good. But look, we've seen a whole host of potentially brilliant Galway forwards emerge over the last 10 years. How many of them can you actually say would have been up there on their day when any of their peers. Haven't they solved the big problems at three and six? The residual problems at three and six? Again, that's, we've heard that it's at least twice over the last five years. They've solved three and six. You know that When Kevin Hines was doing really well at three, we thought they found the fullback they need. That's that lockdown, problem solved. He's not there now. So it's, I mean, that can change so quickly. All right, are we all going for Galway victories? Yeah, I'd you say to. five to eight points. 
Um, it's interesting. Sean Walsh talking about lazy journalism. He said that you talk about uh, Galway being all Ireland contenders as lazy journalism. I kind of, I don't really feel it's like lazy journalism. There is definitely the aspect of which Galway show up, but they're I, if they show up, they're Ireland contenders. I well, they are the great. I know what you're going to say, but they're the greatest <laughs> underachievers in Gaelic games for a long part of the last twenty five years. They're one of the top had, two. <laughs> yeah, this is the second week in a row this has happened. They've had to win two games essentially to win All Ireland, <laughs> and they've never been able to manage it. <laughs> Let's leave this massive elephant in the room. <laughs> all right, we're all going for Galway. It's a double header though at Port Leash. Uh, Mail. First up. First up, uh, on Sunday is the match between Wexford and Antrim. Wexford beat them by 10 points in last season's qualifiers. They had a decent league campaign. Wexford, Antrim didn't win a game in Division 1B. Wexford win all over? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I feel if Wexford keep a bit of patience over the next couple of years, Dermot uh, Ling here has been bigging them up over the last little while. I was reading Jack Guiney, young uh, Wexford forward, talking about Liam Dunn uh, this week and the building that Cody-style uh, competition was how he was putting it for um, for placing that Wexford team. Obviously, you need to have the players to create mm. that competition, but uh, interesting kind of competition. Lee Chin is starting as well, there. which is good to see. It's his first championship start at senior level on the hurling side of things. And then they've got loads of experience. Rossiter is still there. Rory Jacob is still there. Uh, Harry Kyo is there. He's obviously another great kind of starlet over the last couple of years. And if this was in Caseman Park, maybe you might think about it Do Antrim never get any home games in the Leinster Championship and Galway no, never they, get any home no, games that part Antrim of the deal? got two home games in, in the round the robin. Round robin but that's not... Yeah. Galway are going to start getting them apparently from next year. Yeah. Right, right, but that was part of the deal at the start. You can't have any home games. You can come and well, yeah, because we'll was, beat you and then... It was the initial three-year agreement that I think brought them up to 2012 and they said, right, you can come in. Well, like, which was the greatest load of nonsense ever. You can play in Leinster so welcome in but, but you, you just have not have any games mm. it's kind of ridiculous but it is going to apparently next year it's going to change yeah it's a good opportunity as well for Wexford Dublin in a semi-final mm. if they can build a little bit it's of momentum and, uh, and so by, predictions by the way uh, you mentioned Harry Kyo Dave a nice piece in the Independent today I'm back to Dear Midling here again saying that he's inspiring uh, him he got a call from a former teammate that made him uh, realise that his career was stalling in the last little while do you ever get a call like Gizzy that anyone from, from Gizzy the yeah, the I get them all the time <laughs> not, not progressing as I would <laughs> have thought you're going nowhere is, uh, was the phrase used Wexford yeah yeah. yeah. so Wexford Galway uh, we're all going for in Port Leash pretty tasty Munster hurling semi-final at Semple Stadium I'm going to be going along to this one Tipperary against Limerick between them they've won the last three Munster titles one of the highlights of last summer for me was been there at the Gaelic Grounds when Limerick won the Munster hurling title. You're thinking this is going to be the start of something special over the next few years and then John Allen left and then Donald Grady left. We were talking to Seamus Hickey in recent weeks. He seemed to give the impression that it's not going to have a huge impact on them, that they were so far into their season and into their training that the management disruption can't be used as an excuse. But what do we think? Is it going to have a massive effect? Uh, Dahi was dubious, wasn't he? He was yeah. dubious that uh, TJ Ryan can pull it off. No. Was he not dubious about the quality of the trading that was going on under... Is that not... Under... Donald O'Grady. He no, was, yeah. But was he? My yeah. sense well, it was... James, was... Jamesy, I think, was implying that none of the players came out in support of Donald O'Grady, so why not? Yeah. But he was kind of saying that, that Donald O'Grady leaving was a bad thing, ultimately, is what Dahi's point. Uh, I don't know. I think that um, it was a bit more nuanced than that. Really? There's, that like the two two guys 
I was pretty sure we had a conversation <laughs> with him in studio. He's like, oh, I don't see a big deal out of it. This know, is from, from last night is what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah, but back when... I, so yeah, definitely, because he, he mentioned talking to Seamus Hickey at some event in the last little while, and he said to Seamus, actually, he was in the studio here, and he said to him, well, what do you think about having two managers? That was and, ages ago, yeah. Yeah, and but this is what he referenced last night. Yeah. And that Seamus wasn't 100% was sure. Pause, about, yeah. yeah. And so um, that... that yeah, so Dolly's point was that he wasn't he wasn't convinced by the two managers, and then he definitely was less convinced when Donald O'Grady left. Was what he said. Um, all right, that's kind of counterintuitive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't think two uh, managers are going to work, but now that there's only one. Well, I the one but the one the that I thought could work by it. is gone. I think was his point. We'll see. Like uh, O'Grady's reputation is obviously massive, particularly from the Cork lads who won all Ireland's under him. But then that didn't last forever either, you know. Uh, and it would have been very interesting to see what would have happened. This is gone. I think. Listen to James Hickey that. There are enough leaders, there are enough experienced people in that change room so that the players can be the ones who are setting the agenda here. And if that's the case, then why would we expect that last year's Munster champions have anything to fear against a team who stuttered their way through the league? That's one narrative. The other is that Tipperary are in this massive, improving, incredible mm-hmm. burst and are actually really genuine All-Ireland contenders in a way that Limerick aren't. And they have a great record at Semple Stadium, Tipperary. 2006, they were the last time they were beaten in the Munster Championship game at Semple. Let me outstat you on this one then. Twice Limerick have been defending Munster champions and in the first day out played Tipperary in Thurless. Twice they've beaten them after replays. And 19, this game 19, is really 1973, tight. the last time <laughs> <laughs> that Limerick beat Tipperary in the Munster Championship in Thurless. That's a long time, all right. Yeah, that's I mean, Jerstow, where you, you know, this could go to a replay. I mean, that is a valid one. Mm. I find this an extremely difficult one to call. Look, we looked at last year's league and we tried to read into the league form in terms of what we were predicting for the championship. And ultimately, three out of the four semi finalists, we said this last week, got to the All Ireland fi- semi finals. Three, three of the four semi finals were some Division Two. This year, Tip should not have been in the league quarterfinals. I mean, Dublin had them gone, only a ball didn't go over the bar. That was the end of them. And suddenly they find themselves leading Kilkenny with five minutes to go in the league final. Limericks, I was uh, did, did the Limerick court game where they finished 17 points apiece in February. You could tell they hadn't trained that much, that they weren't fit. And yet they still managed to leave it a draw. And their league form actually just got worse and worse all the way through to that eight-point defeat in the quarterfinal against Galway. But So you can't really look at Limerick's form and have any confidence going into this game. And for those reasons, I actually just haven't a clue who's going to win this one. <laughs> I don't. I know you're going to ask me for a prediction shortly. Well, you did go for London to beat Galway last weekend. Oh, so that was just for a bit of crack. You can see uh, you can see one of these teams winning this by 10 points as well. Can I'm you? I'm not sure. But you can see a situation where... Just not sure which one. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's like... Is complacency an issue in Tipperary? Are they still living off four or five years ago where it was themselves and Kilkenny? I think that last year was such a rude awakening. Knocked it out of them. Yeah. And there seems to be something very different about Emma O'Shea as well and what he brings to it. It was funny because, and we've kind of touched on it already, but I remember talking to Jamesy at one point during the league and saying, like, you know, because Jamesy O'Connor has really bought into what Emma O'Shea is about. Yeah, they're, they're old friends. Yeah, and so I'm kind of saying to him, Oh, Jamesy, this thing doesn't really seem to be working out. And Jamesy's completely sticking to his guns. He's not flinching and was completely proved right as it turned out. But interesting uh, quotes from Emin O'Shea this week. He has talked about the, uh, some of the mistakes that he made um, in his own words. Some of the things that I tried that didn't come off. So I knew I was uh, causing some of that stuff that was going on. And at the game against uh, Limerick last year, maybe I didn't have the focus that I should have done. Um, now, I have to say, I don't believe for a minute that Emre O'Shea didn't have the focus that he should have done. Taking the pressure but off his players, it's maybe. a brilliant, absolutely brilliant way to 
remove that heat. This is on me. Yeah. Are they have they been going for a Brendan Rodgers Kevin Keegan esque philosophy during the league of you score three we'll score four type thing? Because I don't know if that was intentional. Huge, yeah, accidental. <laughs> they racked up some huge scores yeah. during the league campaign and, yeah. and lost those games. <laughs> conceded five goals to Kilkenny. Conceded three to, to Goy. Um, conceded four to Cork. Look, yeah. this, this Limerick forward line are Kilkenny. more than capable of just getting plucking balls from the air and mm. battering their weight now. What sort of a cornerback is Seamus Hickey? Is the other question. He's hardly starting there, is he? Well, perhaps his, it's his first game back. Maybe he doesn't have the pace he had. Maybe he can't be running 40, 50 yards at well, a time. They're just going to stick him in the corner and have his experience and have his quality. From Tipperary's point of view, that's pretty encouraging. He's not fully fit. He's playing a Well, he's, uh, he's, he's fully fit, but maybe he's not at the level to be Well, he's a defender by trade. I mean, he's a halfback by, by trade and then he was pushed up into the forward line over the last couple of years, mainly to make sure they found a place for him in the team as opposed to Seamus actually excelling in that position. And he was excellent for Limerick last season before he got the injury. But a cornerback... I'd be amazed if we uh, tune in on Tuesday could be, on Sunday and he's playing This could be there. an auxiliary midfielder. Yeah. Like, you know. Or, or sweeper or something. Yeah. Call this one, Adrian. Uh, tip by a couple of points mm. would be my reading of this one. Uh, Limerick, obviously, big year for them last year. 17-year gap since the last one monster. I feel it'll, uh, that gap is going to be at least a year before they win the next one. I really haven't a clue, but I think I'm going to have to go for tip as well. Jer? Well, everybody's gone for tips, so I'll just go for Limerick for the sake of it. I'm going to go for Limerick as well. London last week. Yeah. It wasn't quite as evenly <laughs> balanced, though. Uh, there's also a couple of games in the football championship this weekend. Limerick and Tipperary also meeting in the Munster uh, quarterfinal. Gaelic grounds on Saturday evening. John Galvin only on the bench. Tipperary won Division 4. Limerick didn't have a great time of it in Division 3. Would it be an upset if Tipperary beat Limerick? I, an upset would be too strong a word I think for to describe it as that this again could go either way these Munster quarterfinals outside your of, arse is sore from sitting on the fence since you moved to Sky but, well, look, <laughs> it's Limerick Tipperary we've got two Division 4 teams or well two Division 3 teams now I mean, what more do you want it's very difficult to call this one Limerick obviously are not the team that they were it would be a seismic shock if anything other than a Limerick win I mean they're at home they're traditionally a championship seismic. team. <laughs> seismic shot. You would feel it. It would <laughs> all the way up to the Giants Causeway. All right, you're going for Limerick Chair? Yeah. Dave? Yeah. Yeah. I'll go for Tipperary. <laughs> and uh, Ulster quarter The integrity of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Who's like going to get... Best, I'm, I'm reluctant to ask, you, to ask you best on what other than... On the fact that they won Division 4 and the fact that they're flying, they're full of confidence and Limerick have none. John Gavel on the bench, for God's exactly. sake. Exactly. Actually, I'm changing my mind. I'm going for Tip. <laughs> oh, Thanks, Dave. You're definitely out now. Uh, for Manning against Antrim, Brewster Park on Sunday will also be keeping a close eye on this one. Both teams, I'd imagine, pretty glad of the draw. Neither of them have won a game in Ulster for the past three seasons. And this is probably the only one they're going to win this season whichever one comes through from Anna to win home advantage counts yeah Antrim had a disaster in the league sixth in division four you're you're in the bottom an 8-6 win for for Anna it's one game I'm thankful I won't be at and uh, I can't see anything change of plan Dave (laughs) (laughs) Billy Joe Patton is going to call uh, the action I can't see anything other than a Fermanagh victory and they will be destroyed by Donegal on the the Ulster semi-final won't disagree with any of that alright for Fermanagh's there don't forget tune in Sunday afternoon from 1 o'clock we're going to have live coverage of Galway against Leash talk to you next Friday